So yesterday is maybe the biggest news day in months. And of course, I was out all day with my kids, with my family. I literally did not see a single news report late last night. My wife says to me, did you hear about Israel and the UAE? And I said, what are you talking about? We had a very nice time. We walked around in the heat for hours. It was good exercise. My kids had a blast. So that's really what's important. Somebody put out a tweet, the following tweet. I'm paraphrasing. Look at the irony. Obama won a Nobel Peace Prize. After being in office for maybe 10 minutes, Obama won a Nobel Peace Prize. They could not wait. The Nobel Committee couldn't wait to award Obama with a Nobel Peace Prize. And then he left office with the Middle East in shambles, with North Africa and the Middle East literally plunged into war and disorder and chaos. Meanwhile, Trump, who will never get an ounce of respect from the Nobel elitists, Trump just brokered a historic peace deal between the UAE, the Emirates, and Israel. And Joe Biden is the one taking the credit, as we'll get to in a moment. You cannot make this stuff up. By the way, the lead story in the media, I'm looking around at the media because Trump just brokered a historic deal. So you know that's the last thing the media is going to be focused on. We got Michael Cohen's tell-all book about President Trump. That is like the lead story among many, including the Drudge Report, which used to be conservative and pro-Trump. I kid you not, the Drudge Report, if you're familiar with that website, they have Michael Cohen's tell-all book as the top story, and Trump and Israel is buried way, way down. CNN top headline today on their website, no exaggeration, Trump's election meddling is threatening U.S. democracy. I'm not joking here. President Trump brokers the historic deal. It's hard to find on CNN. It's hard to find on the New York, at the New York Times. But CNN's top headline, Trump's election meddling is threatening U.S. democracy. By the way, Michael Cohn, supposedly in this book, he says that Trump really did collude with Russia. Michael Cohn claims he was Trump's man. So he was involved. And he says Trump actually did collude with Russia. He was one of the messengers going back and forth between Trump and Russia. Now, if Mike, very simple question, if Michael Cohen, he's going to sell a lot of books. If Michael Cohen has all this dirt on Trump and if he really has information, Mueller, why on earth did Mueller not mention this in his report? Why Forget uh, forget charges against Trump, forget impeachment, but why did, why did Mueller not even mention Michael Cohen? They had Michael Cohen, the prosecutors. He cooperated with prosecutors. He testified before Congress, and now we only we wait until the book. It's like John Bolton. All these people have all this dirt, but somehow they're terrified to testify under oath. But when it comes time to sell a book, then suddenly all this dirt comes out. I mean, come on. And by the way, Mueller exonerated Trump. Mueller, millions of dollars. They, they, they interviewed hundreds of witnesses who knew Trump, who worked with Trump who gave them dirt on Trump, I would add, and yet nothing about all these allegations, these scathing allegations by Michael Cohn. All right, so we got to talk about the peace deal, obviously. Uh, and by the way, the CNN story about Trump's election meddling, you may wonder what on earth they're talking about. I wonder too, but something about, they're just delusional. Something about how Trump is trying to sabotage the U.S. post office. Trump is choking off funding for the U.S. post office because he wants to interfere with mail-in voting. I mean, Trump has had it out. Who, nobody likes the U.S. post office. U.S. post office, the DMV, you know, there are certain things, they're just like a punchline of a joke. They're not actually anything that anybody cares about. And President Trump has been out to reform the post sir, the post office for years. That has nothing to do with election meddling other than in the fantasies that are d- dreamt up by CNN. 
All right, so we have a historic peace deal. This happens once in a generation. It happened twice before. Jimmy Carter, of course, with peace between Israel and Egypt, and uh, Bill Cl President Clinton uh, brokered a peace deal. It was involved in a peace deal. He didn't broker it, but was involved in a peace deal between Israel and Jordan. So this is absolutely historic. And who's the real brains behind this is Jared Kushner. Look, many people were involved. Obviously, President Trump gets the credit. He's the president. But you have to realize Trump put Jared Kushner in charge of the Middle East right when he took office. And now Jared Kushner has been involved. You know, the media mocked Jared Kushner. The media made fun of him. This real estate person, he's never been involved in politics. What does he know about making peace in the Middle East? What does he know about criminal justice reform? It turns out that business people, it turns out, are much better at politics than politicians. And that's no surprise there. Business people actually have to get things done or they're failures. Politicians, you could be like Joe Biden, be in office for 50 years get virtually nothing done, nothing concrete, nothing that I'm aware of, and yet uh, you're, you're a hero because you don't actually have to get anything done. In business, you, know, you don't bring in the money, you're out. Now, Kushner has gotten more done in, 30, in, in three years, I should say, than Joe Biden got done in 50 years. That's not an exaggeration. By the way, the UAE and the Saudis and other countries have lit Bahrain. They've been working with Israel under the radar for years. So this is not like something that just happened overnight. This has been really brewing for years, and in a way, it's already been happening, but now they've actually made it official. Now, what, are, what's the, what is Israel's, what did they have to concede in this deal? Israel's getting a lot of benefits in this deal, as we'll get to. But what did Israel give in on? Nothing, virtually nothing. Israel's big concession is that they are suspending the annexation plans for Yehuda and Shomron. They are suspending the annexation plans for the West Bank settlements, which, of course, Netanyahu has been promising that he was going to do. Now, that's not an actual concession because it's not actually something that Israel is giving up. Now, I know some people are upset about this. I don't think this is a big deal at all, but this is a classic tactic that we've seen President Trump use so many times, and obviously, you know, he was strategizing with Israel to make this happen, is that you threaten something, you threaten to do it, and then you basically force the other side to make a deal with you, and in return, you're not going to do it. In the past, if Israel wanted to cut a deal, right, it usually had to be some kind of land for peace. They had to give back Gaza, and look, what, look how that turned out. Now, now in, in the Trump administration, in this world, it's a whole different ballgame where Israel doesn't actually have to give anything up. They're using a Trump strategy, which he has used many times, which is we're going to threaten to do something new. And then, well, you want to cut a deal? OK, well, you cut a deal. We'll give in. We won't do the thing that we said that we were going to do. So Israel gives up almost nothing. Think about this for the Emirates, for the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. This is a massive risk for them. This is something to the, which could do them a lot more harm than it could do to Israel. Many Arabs, most Arabs, are viciously opposed to officially recognizing Israel. So the UAE, they're going to get a lot of heat now in their own country. They're going to get a lot of heat from other Arab countries. You know Turkey. Turkey is going to put a lot of pressure. Turkey is viciously anti-Israel. So the UAE, they are really kind of sticking their neck out here and giving up a lot, sacrificing a lot. The reason they're doing it, this shows you how badly they need Number one, strategic ties with Israel. Number two, how badly they need Trump. Trump has made the United States integral to the UAE and to the Saudis, and that has been all part of this ingenious strategy. Now, meanwhile, the reports are that the Palestinians are removing their embassy from the UAE. So, you know, yawn. I mean, does anybody care what the Palestinians do at this point? 
But the Palestinians clearly are furious about this because the one thing, this is, we'll get to this in a minute, but the one stipulation, every, every big Arab country, well, if you want to have uh, diplomatic relations with Israel, you want me to recognize Israel, well, the first thing you need to do is you need to have a peace deal with the Palestinians. You need to give the Palestinians their own land, their own state, their own homeland. And now we see they have broken that cardinal rule. So that's a very, very important aspect of this. Now, there are some people who are upset that Israel is not going to annex the settlements. Number one, it's still on the table. Israel's not promising they're never going to do it, but they're saying they're suspending the plan. They're not going to do it now. The time frame was they were planning to do it right now. I don't have a big problem with this because if you look at the big picture, that that move would have been largely symbolic. Kalman Yeager said it when we interviewed him that there really was nothing practical that was going to happen. It's not an annexation. I, you know, I keep calling it that. The Israelis... They, they already are in control of those areas. You know, so it was literally just symbolic where they were going to officially declare their sovereignty. But you're talking about a deal with the UAE that could dramatically change the entire future of the Middle East. And it offers huge, huge benefits for Israel. So to me, that is a, a very, very worthwhile trade-off. Now, perhaps the most important aspect of this, as I mentioned before, is this has shown the world the Israelis do not need to make peace with the Palestinians. The Israelis do not need to give the Palestinians their own state. We do not need a two-state solution in order to make peace with some of the biggest players in the Gulf Middle East over there when you talk about the UAE. And Jared Kushner says other countries are coming next. Many Trump officials have said this. They haven't said which countries. But I almost guarantee you Saudi Arabia is going to be on the table. Bahrain is going to be on the table because they're all part of that same network that they have been doing these back-channel deals for years with Israel. So that has been the one big stipulation. We're not going we will never recognize Israel. We will never recognize Israel's right to exist. Israel, they don't exist until they 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 come down with a two-state solution until they make peace with the Palestinians and they have broken that rule and that is a total game changer. This is a nightmare for the Palestinians. They've already been collapsing. I mean, the Palestinian people are literally on the brink of collapse. They and, and, and Iran. Look at what Trump has managed to accomplish here. And you wonder, you wonder if Trump, they're getting a lot of things pushed through now heading into the election. Part of that is, of course, because President Trump wants to bolster his own legacy, his own reputation here, and he wants to help win re-election. But maybe you wonder if part of it is, what if they lose? There are certain things that they just absolutely want to get done just on the chance that they lose. I don't know. You don't really picture President Trump as somebody who prepares to lose, but it's just something I've been wondering about. Now, of course, the media not giving any credit to President Trump. When Jimmy Carter did this with Egypt, I mean, the media went berserk. This It was literally like the biggest story to happen in the Middle East back there in the 70s. Clinton and Jordan, of course, the media celebrated Clinton as a hero then. By the way, even Clinton and Arafat, the Clinton and Arafat, where Clinton tried desperately to get Arafat to sign a deal with Israel. And Arafat was the one. The Israelis were willing to do it. But Arafat absolutely stabbed Bill Clinton in the back, Yasser Arafat. And the reason Clinton failed so miserably is because Arafat wrecked the deal. Bill Clinton actually put faith in Yasser Arafat, who was a vicious, vicious terrorist. He's practically one of the people who invented modern-day Islamic terrorism, Yasser Arafat, no exaggeration, and Bill Clinton actually thought that he would come to the table and sign an agreement. But even that, the media even managed to cheer Clinton on and to praise Bill Clinton uh, with the failed deal with Arafat. I'm not, I'm not kidding, more than they're actually praising 
President Trump right now, and Joe Biden took credit for this deal. Joe, Joe Biden says this has happened over a period of several administrations. He, I mean, you listen to this quote here. Joe Biden put out a statement. Not that anyone, I don't recall asking him for a statement about this. He said, quote, the coming together of Israel and Arab states builds on the efforts of multiple administrations to foster a broader Arab-Israeli opening, including the efforts of the Obama-Biden administration to build on the Arab Peace Initiative. I personally spent time with leaders of both Israel and the UAE during, UAE during our administration, building the case for cooperation and broader engagement and the benefits it could deliver to both nations. I'm gratified by today's announcement. I personally spent time with leaders. So are you telling me that you were involved in brokering this deal? Because when Obama left office, I mean, Israel, Obama did everything he could to snub Israel. And of course, let's not forget that dreadful, dreadful U.N. resolution that Obama refused to veto. I mean, so Obama and Biden, they threw Israel under the bus. Last time I checked, they had nothing to do with this at all. And now he says it was built on the efforts of multiple administrations. I personally spent time with leaders of both Israel and the UAE. So Biden's the one who gets credit for this. But this shows you something. This is so important. The fact that Biden is saying this. See, Biden, the Demo there are some Democrats who are going to try to say, well, what does this really accomplish? Okay. Okay, Trump, he brokered this deal. But what really changes right now? Biden clearly feels that this is an incredibly big thing because Biden, he could have just shrugged it off. He could have just poo-pooed it. Biden could have come out with a statement. Well, look, you know, yeah, Trump brokered a historic deal. It's not so historic. I don't really see what this changes. He doesn't do that. Biden tries to take credit for it. If you try to take credit for something, that means that you consider it a very, very big deal. So Biden right now is admitting, is conceding that this is a historic moment here. He's doing it in a very backhanded way and trying to take the credit, but he wouldn't be trying to take the credit for it if this wasn't extremely game-changing. Now, where did this all come from, by the way? Obama strengthened Iran. Obama gave Iran so much power, and Iran, they increased their sponsorship of terrorism throughout that region. Be and, and that is why. And of course, Iran has been developing these centrifuges. I mean, they, they've been developing these ICBM missiles. So the Iranians, Obama gave Iran so much more power and even enabled them to, 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 to advance their nuclear program. So you got the UAE. It's really Shia Sunni and Obama. He sided with the Shiites who are, they look, both sides are evil. The Saudis are evil. The Saudis were behind 9-11. I'm not going to try to give any of these countries credit. But Obama basically threw the UAE and the Saudis and Turkey under the bus and said, I, I side with Iran. So meanwhile, you had all these other Arab countries like the UAA, UAE looking at Iran and Obama and looking at that alliance and saying, what is going on here? We don't have, we don't have anybody to, to stick with over here. So they were forced to uh, do all these things with Israel. They were forced to basically form a, a, a back channel under the radar alliance with Israel. And that has really strengthened. So Obama does get a lot of credit for strengthening the alliance between Israel and the UAE, but not the kind of credit that they want. All right, so what does Israel gain from all this? Israel gains an awful lot. Number one, it's going to help boost the Israeli economy, because, and which is especially important now with the coronavirus, because Dubai, the UAE, is an extremely wealthy country. They've got a lot of business going on. So the Israelis, to be able to do business, to have flights going back and forth between these countries and have a business relationship between these two countries is going to be huge. Number two, it helps Israel protect against the threat of Iran. The UAE and Israel, as I mentioned, share this common enemy. Number three, Israel now has a lot more credibility on the world stage in the Arab world and even with Europe to be officially recognized. This country has had disdain for Israel for decades and has said they're never going to make 
you know, to diplomatically recognize Israel's right to exist, the right to, to uh, of a Jewish state to exist. And um, now they have turned that around. And that obviously a lot of that has to do with President Trump. So it's very historic. And number four, as I said, Jared Kushner said that other countries are next. Meanwhile, there's a lot more going on between Trump and Iran. The Trump administration has confiscated cargo on four oil tankers that were carrying Iranian oil. The Wall Street Journal says this is the first time ever that President Trump has actually confiscated a shipment, more than one, four shipments of Iranian oil. This shipment was headed from uh, Iran to Venezuela of Iranian oil, and the Trump administration has confiscated the cargo on the four oil tankers, the Wall Street Journal says that this comes as the administration is looking to increase its campaign of maximum pressure against Iran. And we've seen this a lot. Trump is trying to pressure Iran every every way they possibly can. And by the way, and of course, uh, bring Iran to the brink of economic collapse. They're almost there. Now, meanwhile, by the way, the Wall Street Journal says there's another aspect to this strategy. They're actually trying to get businesses to be afraid to do business. See, if, if, if an oil tanker company, if, if they are delivering a shipment from Iran to some other country and it gets confiscated, they don't get, they, they don't get paid. They don't make their money. So uh, what they're doing is they're trying to dissuade the, uh, these oil companies, these tanker companies, these shipment companies from doing business with Iran because they know it's not going to end well. So this is a huge piece of news that's getting overshadowed by all the other news. The DOJ has announced that they have seized millions of dollars from three terror groups. That's right. The DOJ has been targeting Hamas, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda, and they have seized millions of dollars. And this is the largest ever confiscation of cryptocurrencies. So the DOJ put out an announcement. I believe this happened a couple of weeks ago. They seized millions of dollars over 300 cryptocurrency accounts, four websites, and four Facebook pages, all related to the criminal network, the criminal enterprise of uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and Hamas. Uh, the New York Post has, in other news, the New York Post has confirmed that President Trump will accept the Republican nomination on the White House lawn. So despite the outcry and the outrage of uh, Nancy Pelosi and of a bunch of Democrats who say that uh, it's unethical, President Trump, you can't accept the Republican nomination from the lawn of the White House. We don't know why it's unethical. It may even be illegal. We don't know why. We'll, we'll figure that out later, but it's got to be. Why? Because uh, Trump can't do this because this is going to look very, this is going to make him look very strong. This is going to be an amazing imagery here. Joe Biden accepting the nomination in his basement. I, I, I'm kidding. He's probably not going to do that. And uh, Trump accepting the nomination from the White House. All right. A.G. Barr says that a big announcement is coming today in the Durham case. We don't know what that's going to be. Of course, we're going to keep you updated. Now, maybe it's going to be a report. Maybe they're going to release a report. Maybe it'll even be a nasty report. I mean, can you hear the sarcasm? You know, maybe it's going to be like they're going to use a lot of mean words in this report about Comey and Strzok and Andrew McCabe. Maybe it's going to be a dossier. Maybe maybe they're going to release a Durham dossier that says all sorts of terrible things about Obamagate. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'm not expecting any indictments today, but hey, but you know, you never know. Uh, President Trump, I love this story. President Trump wants to allow showerheads 
to release a stronger flow of water. You know how annoying it is when these shower heads, when it's like a very, very weak flow of water? Well, it turns out, no surprise, that's because of the Democrats, and it's because of environmental restrictions. Even, even showers and even toilet flushes are something the Democrats need to regulate and control about our lives. So this is according to Newsmax, President Trump, it seems he himself is very frustrated and annoyed at the weak flow that comes out of shower heads because of Democrats. I mean, it's ridiculous. Showers, faucets, toilet flushes, they allow very little flow because of environmental restrictions. Where's the data? Where's the data that this actually helps? I say people need to let the water keep flowing out. You know, when you do dishes or whatever you're doing with the water, they have to let it flow out for extra time. I wonder if it even uses up more water. You know, so the Democrats, they're making us all miserable, and uh, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish, like most Democrat environmental restrictions, right? Uh, where's the data? Where's the data that shows that people actually use less water this way? I really want to see that. I, I just don't believe it. Since 1992, federal law has dictated new showerheads cannot pour out more than two and a half gallons of water per minute. So what happened was newer shower fixtures would come out with multiple nozzles. Instead of one nozzle, now they have like a bunch of different nozzles. So Obama defined the showerhead restriction as what comes out of in total, the amount of water that comes out in total. So if there's four or five nozzles, it's two and a half gallons of water per minute. That's the maximum throughout the entire showerhead. That includes all the different nozzles. So four nozzle, nozzles means that you need two and a half gallons total between all four. But President Trump, he, want, he has put out a new proposal that would allow each nozzle to spray out as much as two and a half gallons, not just the showerhead overall. So this is, this is great news. I mean, uh, I, I think this actually could have real impact on our lives. And President Trump actually spoke about this in July at the White House. He says the water doesn't come out. He said, quote, you want to wash your hands. The water doesn't come out. So what do you do? You just stand there longer. And then he said, because my hair, I don't know about you, but my hair has to be perfect. That's what Trump said. So, and remember, he did try to do something like this with toilet flushing. I don't know what ended up happening with that. Um, amazing. Imagine if Trump goes down in history as the man who brought peace to the Middle East and the man who restored the flow of shower heads. I mean, you've got to give him a Nobel Prize for that. Uh, I, I, you know, I actually had a relative buy me a shower head in Florida. It, it seems that in Florida, the restrictions are not as tight as they are in some other states. And a relative of mine actually bought me one that I wasn't able to get locally. And it, it does really work so much better. I hope I'm not breaking the law. You know, I, I, I maybe shouldn't announce this, but it really, it, it's amazing the difference. All right. So Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they have already made two appearances in front of the media. And guess how many questions they've taken from the from reporters? Not a single question. Well, isn't that a shock? They've made two appearances, but they have not allowed any questions. Look, they're very busy people. So I guess Kamala, I guess she's not ready yet to answer questions from reporters. We could blame her. I'm not sure what's been happening all these months when Joe Biden, he's basically taking questions from reporters twice. What are we, 80-something days here away from the election? I mean, we are really close. It's, it's pretty exciting. Look, I know it's nerve-wracking. I know it's stressful, but it's fun. All right, meanwhile... For those of you who keep an eye on the fundraising numbers, Joe Biden's campaign has raised boatloads of money since he announced Kamala Harris. And I'm not being sarcastic there. Biden has raised an awful lot of money. Doesn't phase me one bit. N number one, could it be that they actually time the fundraisers? You know, there, there's a lot of strategy that's involved in all of this. Maybe they time, you know, big fundraisers, big donor fundraisers right after the announcement. I mean, not maybe. All the campaigns do that. Now, even so, it's still a lot of money. They've raised $48 million 
in 48 hours, but they know they're going to get this kind of bump. You know, when you talk about timing, by the way, in their first appearance, when Biden actually uh, announced, introduced Kamala Harris, uh, you know, it was the anniversary of Charlottesville. And of course, they used it as uh, an excuse to bash Trump on, on, on Charlottesville and tell lies. I mean, they literally they repeat this lie over and over again. And you have to believe that the timing there is not coincidental. You know, it just happened to fall out on the anniversary of Charlottesville. They wanted an excuse to get in Charlottesville. How do I know this? Because you remember when Biden first announced his candidacy back in 2019, what was it, April 2019? He, he put it out a video to announce his candidacy. It was nice and scripted, you know, so they were able to make sure that Biden got it right. And uh, Biden mentioned Charlottesville, and it's a lie. Trump never said there are good people on both sides in reference to the neo-Nazis. He said there are good people on both sides, but he was clearly, if you look at the context, we've been through this many times, he literally was referring to the, 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 non, the protesters who were not neo-Nazis who were also there because it was a protest about a statue removal. And uh, that was what Trump was doing. And it's extremely clear. I forget the fact that they have no evidence he was talking about the, you know, he was talking about the neo-Nazis. It's very clear in the context that he was not. We've gone through that at length. But Biden continues to push that lie over and over again. And now they do it again when he introduces Kamala Harris because it's like it's all they've got. You know, they're not going to talk about Trump's record because that's the last thing that they want to focus on. So that timing, I believe, was not a coincidence. But um, $48 million in 48 hours, that's pretty impressive. But again, it's not really surprising and uh, really doesn't phase me. I think Trump, I think Biden, you know, anybody he could have chosen as a running mate uh, other than maybe Kim Jong-un. And I think he would have gotten a big bump because, remember, Democrat voters, they're desperate to see Biden's running mate because they're very, very shaky and nervous about Biden. You know, some people think that Kamala Harris is basically going to be the one in charge from day one. There are many people who believe that. A caller asked me, who would I have chosen? I've been criticizing Biden's pick of Kamala Harris. I think that it's a terrible pick. Who would I have chosen? And my my answer is, number one, I wouldn't have chose, I wouldn't have forced myself to choose a woman because you have to choose a woman because they're the most qualified. You know, so that's number one. But, but putting that aside, let's say, you know, Biden, he committed to choosing a woman. Who would I have chosen? Because I keep criticizing Harris. Amy Klobuchar, hands down, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, she doesn't have the baggage that uh, Kamala Harris has. And uh, Amy Klobuchar, she was a much more successful candidate. I mean, she was literally, she almost took the nomination away. She wasn't going to get the nomination. I don't mean that. But if Klobuchar and Buttigieg, if they don't drop out of the race before South Carolina, Biden was on the brink. Why do you think they dropped out? Because he was like really close to losing the nomination to Bernie Sanders. And then Klobuchar and Buttigieg made that announcement. They were running, they, they, they were dropping out. And that's what handed Biden the, Biden the nomination. You know, maybe you can make a case for Kirsten Gillibrand. I don't know. Not a big fan of Kirsten Gillibrand, but even she would be better than Kamala Harris. And you know, I know Amy Klobuchar, she declined. She, she actually dropped out of the running for running mate. Not sure why. But I believe that if they had pushed her, you know, they could have persuaded her to be Biden's running mate. You know, first of all, she gives Biden Minnesota, which is something more than more than Kamala Harris is giving because California is Biden's either way. And uh, by the way, you saw Trump actually said that he thinks he could win New York. He thinks the crime, everything is so bad in New York. Look, New York went for Reagan in the 80s. I think it's probably a long shot. But Trump says he thinks that he has a shot at New York. But yeah, I would have definitely chosen Amy Klobuchar over Kamala Harris. She was she she lasted much longer. Kamala Harris dropped out. She was one of the first Democrat candidates to drop out. So leave it to Biden to pick somebody who dropped out so early on. I mean, clearly it was because he, he knew that he had to pick a woman of color. By the way, uh, the media, yet another lie about President Trump, accusing Trump of being a liar 
once again, falsely, because President Trump made a comment that uh, Kamala Harris called Joe Biden a racist and the media fact checked and said it's never it's not true. Kamala Harris never called Joe Biden a racist. And once again, the media, you know, they're using this as a way they're getting very technical and very literal. But everybody knows what Trump is referring to, because I talk about it all the time. Kamala Harris in that debate where she confronted Biden, the, the, the really the only strong moment she had in her entire uh, campaign was when she said, I know you're not a racist, but and then she went on to talk about the busing and the segregationists and about Biden's very checkered history. Um, when it comes to black people from back in the 70s. And she started with, I know you're not a racist, but, and we kept saying over and over again, you know, what is she trying to say? She's not going to come out in, in this Democrat debate and say, hey, you know, Mr. Vice President, I think you're a racist. So the way she said it was very strategic. I know you're not a racist, but, I mean, when I say, it's like saying when you say no offense to somebody. You ever notice nobody ever says, no offense, but I don't really think you're, but I think you're an extremely smart person. I just messed up that line, but no offense, but you're so incredibly smart. No offense, but you're so incredibly talented. You never, whenever you say no offense, you're never going to give the person a compliment. No offense, it's always, I'm going to say something right now that's going to hurt your feelings. But if I say no offense, then it's okay, right? So when you say, I know you're not a racist, but... What you, you have just told the world, I'm about to accuse this person of racism. I, so it's clear that's what Trump, well, but she didn't call him a racist. And Trump gets four Pinocchios for that. I mean, come on. Everybody knows what Trump means. And by the way, you know, Kamala Harris, I just want to mention, you know, Kellyanne Conway made this point. When it came to Medicare for all, she was all over the map. With her policy, she was all over the map. Kamala Harris has this weakness, is, and many politicians have it. They want to please everybody. When you want to please everybody, then you don't please anybody. It's the antithesis of Trump. So remember, she was all over the map, and that was the, 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 the liberal media. Jake Tapper and CNN, you know, he really grilled her on it, and you know, she was, she, it was a very controversial, she supported Medicare for all. But she's also going to let people keep their health insurance, keep private insurance. But just for like facelifts, for like, uh, you know, uh, cosmetic surgery or whatever, some, some random thing. So she, she literally could not get her own policy straight. Remember, she contradicted herself. Well, nobody's going to be on private insurance. Well, people are not going to like that. Well, all right, some people maybe will occasionally be on private insurance. Well, will they or won't be? And she was just full of contradictions. She could, Remember, everything was like it's going to be a conversation. I mean, uh, she was like... She, she, like they'd ask her like the most radical positions of Bernie Sanders. And instead of saying that's radical, that's like the last thing I would ever want to do. She would say, I think we should have a conversation about that, which was her way of saying, listen, I'm not going to tell you that it's a radical extremist position because I don't want to offend anybody, but I would never actually agree to this. So it has to be a conversation. We had her saying it four times in one interview at one point, um, or in, I believe it was a town hall. And she just cannot handle committing to a position because she doesn't want to alienate anybody. The opposite of Trump. Trump will literally alienate half the country. He is relentless. He doesn't care. He believes it's true. He will support it, which is, by the way, how you attract such a strong, enthusiastic following. Yeah, there's always going to be you know, basically 50 percent of the country who cannot stand somebody like President Trump. With Kamala Harris, maybe 100 percent of the country. Well, no, 100 percent is not indifferent, but maybe you'll have like 70 percent indifferent. 15% of people who like her and then like, you know, then, then people who just uh, cannot stand her like most of us. I'm getting my numbers wrong. There's plenty of people who cannot stand Kamala Harris, but I think you get my point. All right, that's going to do it for today and we will see you next time.